0: God, we thank you so much that we could come to you and sing to you, God, in this place. Uh, There is no better use that our words could be put to but to say over and over how awesome and worthy you are, Jesus. God, when we proclaim how great and awesome and sufficient and perfect you are, it is not a waste of breath. It is not a waste of words or energy, God. Uh, We were created to make much of you because you deserve this god thank you that we can sing to you and know that we enjoy your favor that we enjoy your love upon us because of the work that you've done for us in jesus because of him and through him god we are restored to you we are reconciled to you you canceled you canceled all your anger all of your wrath toward us on jesus so that now we enjoy being sons and daughters of you God. so thank you for this thank you for doing this for us god we love you and i need your help now as i preach god as i open your word that i would only say that which submits to and esteems your word and that i would only say that which is good and beneficial for these people to hear god so we love you so much god we ask that you be honored and pleased in this time that you do your will among us that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged that you would encourage us where we are weighed down and heavy, that you would give us joy where we have sadness, God. So would you do this and all through your word, and I praise in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Crossway Wilmington. We're glad you're here this morning. Um, has anybody ever had a light come on on the dash of your car? Has anybody ever had like multiple lights on on the dash of your car <laughs> at the same time? <laughs> right? So... A light comes on on the dash of your car to indicate to you that there's something wrong with your car, right? That thing comes on to indicate that there's some kind of problem in there, even if the problem is only with that one little light. Um, You might not perceive the issue in the appearance of the car or in anything of its function, but nonetheless, that light is going to be on for as long as the problem persists. And for me, in my life, and I believe I speak for all of us, when I am reluctant, or when I am lacking in eagerness, or when I am so afraid to speak about Jesus that I remain silent, that that attitude and that posture is a light on the dash of my heart, and it indicates to me there's, there's something wrong with me. That at some level, there's something I need to get right because I it is right, it's fitting for me to be eager to give away what I enjoy in Jesus. It, it is fitting that I desire to see others welcomed into the standing that I, as a born-again son of God, enjoy. Now, I'm not talking about being nervous I don't, I'm not referring to being self-conscious at the moment of being able to preach about Jesus to someone. Being nervous and self-consciousness associated with sharing the gospel is just going to be there. That's going to be part of life. Um, to, pr- to proclaim the gospel to somebody is always going to be something that is embattled and opposed and it's never just going to be easy. So I'm not talking about being nervous. I'm talking about a heavy hindered drudgery that i feel at times towards speaking to others about jesus or i'm talking about a fear of people or more specifically a fear of what people will think of me that keeps me silent about jesus when i've talked about personal evangelism over the years i've often said this Personal evangelism is the thing that I am most afraid to do, but also the thing I am most eager to do. What strange people we Christians are. The very thing that we are most eager to do is also the thing that we are often the most afraid to do. But nonetheless, that's who we are. So um, as we've been going through Acts, last week, Pastor Matt was telling us how it is regular people and not necessarily professionals that God sees fit to use to accomplish his purpose on the earth, to bring about saving faith to people in the early church. It is regular, imperfect, broken people like you and me that God is using to bring others into a reconciled relationship with himself. Regular, ready willing and obedient people are the ones that god is pleased to use to bring salvation to others you do not need a seminary degree and you do not need a high school diploma to be able to be one who is commissioned and used by god for the sake of seeing people saved through jesus god uses regular people who are ready And obedient to do what he wants them to do. Uh, We're going to look at Acts 8 uh, verses 26 through 40 today and um, the guy we're going to see is Philip. I've lived with Philip all this week as i prepared to do this. Um, The first place we see Philip show up is in Acts chapter 6 when there was a need to have more men on hand to spread out the work for the apostles and so they needed to bring on deacons to help share the work of the church. Um, And Philip is among the seven who were chosen as deacons. And this is what chapter six says about Philip and the other guys. It says, and the 12, meaning the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word and what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose stephen a man full of faith and of the holy spirit and philip and Prochorus, and nicanor and timon and Parmenus and nicolaus a proselyte of antioch so philip is a deacon he's a servant and he's chosen unto the role with seven other guys to make sure that the widows of the church these older ladies of the church got their proper allotment of food that the church is providing for him at this time and philip is pleased to do this he's he's somebody who is proven in his love for god he's proven in his character and he's glad to contribute in this lowly unrecognized way so then at the beginning of acts chapter 8 When Stephen is stoned, and everybody but the apostles are scattered out of Jerusalem, Philip is among that number, and he's scattered to Samaria. And when he gets to Samaria, we see him again. He's faithfully preaching. He's courageously preaching the gospel to any that will hear him. And in Acts chapter 8, once he's in Samaria, it says that the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So that that's the guy, that's the guy we're dealing with in Acts chapter eight, verses 26 through 40. That's Philip, that's the Philip we're seeing as we pick it up in verse 26. So I'm gonna go ahead and read uh, verses 26 through 40 here of acts chapter 8. now an angel of the lord said to philip rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from jerusalem to gaza this is a desert place and he rose and went and there was an ethiopian a eunuch a court official of candace queen of the ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure he had come to jerusalem to worship And was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you... Does the prophet say this about himself or or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him and when they came up out of the water the spirit of the lord carried philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing but philip found himself at azotus and as he passed through he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to caesarea amen so verses 26 through 30 um what we got is uh Philip's out here in the desert. He's been in Samaria, and God, through the angel of the Lord, says to Philip, get up, go out to the desert, and go there. And go ahead and lose the picture you may have of the Ethiopian eunuch being this African guy in this like wonky, unfinished wood, two-wheeled cart flies on him wearing like some burlap sack like he's got the reins of some donkey in one hand he's got the scroll of isaiah in the other hand driving himself by himself through some desert go ahead and lose that picture if that's what you've got this guy was the treasurer of all the kingdom of the ethiopians so he is a guy of visible status of legitimate esteem and status in the society it's like this caravan it's like this entourage of people he probably has these attendants and members of his court there with him it's this nice chariot not a wagon pulled by horses and someone is driving for him and he's in the back he's at leisure and in a state of repose reading the scroll of isaiah right so as philip this regular, ordinary guy sees this. He sees it and recognizes it as some important person on important business. And they're out in the desert, this empty, desolate place. So it's gonna do us well to remember also that Acts is a narrative. Like it's a it's a narrative book that relates the story of things that actually happened. And most of what it says is, descriptive, meaning it's describing for us events that happen, and not necessarily prescriptive, meaning it's not prescribing for us what we should do today necessarily. Much of the Bible, like the letters, the epistles to the churches, are prescripted, prescribing things like we should do them today, what we should believe, how to live, what to do. But the book of Acts is describing things that actually happened but there is much for us to benefit from in the description of what these guys are doing in the example of the early church you see through the early church God was doing this unique and brand new thing the gospel which had been lived out and fully accomplished by Jesus was this new thing And it was breaking out on the face of the earth there in Jerusalem and the area around. So God is doing this unique thing among the early church that we're not necessarily going to repeat ourselves. So that to say that we shouldn't necessarily wait around for an angel of the Lord to speak directly to us to go do something like happened with Philip rather what's better for us to see is that no matter how god got philip's attention he got it and when he had philip's attention and he told him to do something what does philip do he gets up and he goes he gets up and he's on his feet and he obeys and he's not delaying so he goes out and let's look at it from philip's perspective it's it's Reasonable to assume that Philip could have had a mindset that was like, okay, I started out as a deacon. I was glad and it pleased me to participate, to contribute to the needs of these elderly ladies in the church. And then God saw fit to give me some ministry of some notoriety and consequence. I went to Samaria and I was preaching and I, and all these people were coming to faith in Jesus. Demons are being driven out of people. And then all of a sudden God says leave that and go out to some empty desolate place it does not the bible does not record that philip grumbles and says wait i'm clearly more capable of that why don't i just stay right here in samaria and continue doing this thing let me lead some church here and i'll be doing some work of some real consequence instead of going out to the desert to meet who out there No, it doesn't say he said that. It says that he rose and went. God tells him something to do. God gives him a directive. And Philip's attitude is one of surrender. He says, God, you're saying to go? I'm there. I'm going. And so Philip goes out. And he goes to the desert. He doesn't say, who's going to be out in the desert? He just obeys and goes. So at this point, it's a good question for all of us. Is there any way in which I'm not serving because I'm convinced I deserve a greater, more visible platform from which to serve? And I say this as much to myself as to anybody in here. Is there somebody in my life that I won't proclaim the gospel to because I'm convinced it won't make any difference? Do I have an attitude that says, I don't need to be teaching some kid's class? I'm not doing that. I can do more than that. I'm not going to greet at the door. I'm not going to serve my life group leader to help him assist, help him run life group in some kind of way. I'm not going to serve my elderly shut-in neighbor. She's got her own grandkids. Is that our attitude? Is that how we're looking at ourselves? Are we thinking, I need to have some kind of platform where I'm going to have some visibility. I can get some recognition but rather let's look at Philip's attitude. Philip's example. Philip says, "God, it is an honor and it is a privilege to serve you wherever you say for me to go and to do whatever it is you tell me to do." God told Philip, "I want you to go to the desert." And Philip says, "Okay, I'm going to the desert. I'm I what's out there? I don't lizards, cactus, I don't know. I'm going to go and there'll be something when I get there. And I in the meantime, I'm going to obey. The reason why I'm, to, why I'm supposed to be there, you will make clear to me, as I obey you, God. So, what lowly act of service could God be calling you to commit to? And then, as we get to verse thirty, verses thirty through thirty-one, Philip runs up to him in this chariot. He hears him reading Isaiah, the prophet. So he comes up, Philip. Um, takes the first step. He initiates the conversation. Do you understand what you're reading? He makes a quick observation. Okay, this guy is interested in the word of God. He's sitting here reading it. I'm gonna ask him a question related to what he's interested in. I'm initiating with him. This, the Ethiopian unit comes back and says, how can I unless uh, someone guides me in understanding this? So this guy, this Ethiopian, Ethiopian demonstrates some degree of affinity for philip and philip sees that as an open door gets up in the chariot with him and rides with him and converses with him about what he's got going on what he's interested in so it's important for us to see this and observe that and also see that god had not spelled this out for philip before he got there when did got when did philip see his purpose when did it become clear to philip why he was in the desert it became clear to Philip his purpose in the desert in the midst of his practical, real-life obedience. Like, as he obeyed the clear and explicit instructions of God, his, uh, his implicit purpose became clear. He gets out there, and it's, After he's in the desert, after he's demonstrated a willing, surrendered, ready obedience unto God, that God makes it clear, here's the chariot, this is why you're here, go over there and be near that chariot. So not only has Philip got this surrendered attitude, he's also demonstrating that he was willing and glad to have this public, visible ministry of some consequence of Samaria, but he also has this private, individual ministry of his own life. He's not only just glad to jump at the opportunity to preach to lots of people and see lots of things happen where he's going to be seen as the one to be thanked, to recognize for some work. He's also in every realm and sphere of his life, he's seeking to win others to Jesus. All of us know of pastors who publicly had huge ministries, who visibly, by all appearances, seemed to be bringing about so much fruit, so much change in people's lives, doing so much good, but then privately and secretly, they were actually failing greatly, dishonoring God greatly. All of us know intrinsically that it's not fitting for someone to only have some public ministry that it's not fitting for a believer to be a minister of the gospel only publicly but rather privately in the unseen realms of my life i'm seeking to be one who is salt and light to others who don't know jesus everyone knows that someone who stands up to preach in front of hundreds ought to be one who is glad to speak to one like Philip is doing. A life that glorifies God and truly serves and benefits people is one where we are equally glad to speak to one person out in the desert or anywhere else or to a room of 1,000 people about Jesus. about Jesus. So Philip's come up on this guy, this entourage. He's willing to engage this guy, even though he seems to be of such importance Philip might have probably was, I'd like to think he was probably intimidated. I'd like to think he might have been kind of nervous. He was probably self-conscious. He probably had a thought of, oh, I don't want to bother this guy, right? It looks like he's on some important business. I'm just some, he's probably dirty, right? But he wasn't intimidated to the point that it kept him silent. He was willing to engage in spite of those factors, And so he runs up to him and asks him if he understands what he's reading. And then verses 31 through 35, the eunuch says, How can I, how can I understand this unless someone guides me? And and the passage of scripture he's reading is from Isaiah 53. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent so he opens not his mouth and his humiliation justice was denied him and from that very scripture jesus philip shared the good news about jesus to this ethiopian eunuch how was philip this regular guy no seminary degree no formal official title how was he just a servant a lowly servant of the church How is he able to hear some passage from the Old Testament and begin right away to tell this guy about Jesus? It's because Philip himself was already familiar with that passage because he was already familiar with God's word. He himself, Philip, had been fed by what he read and so was able to feed someone else. So the message of the gospel was so near to his heart. It was so much the driving motivation and agenda of his life to glorify Jesus that he was able to hear this passage and begin to expound on it right then. And oh, that it would be the same of all of us. Philip's already so familiar with the word of God. He's, he's, his heart, it's like it's already primed up and ready to just give away what it's full of, that the that God's word is so kicking around in his head before he sees this guy that he's able to just give it away in the moment where he needs to give it away. How much more so should that be the case with us who have in our houses multiple copies of printed bound Bibles? Tom Harkis, who was one of the pastors who planted helped plant Crossway Wilmington years ago, he would always say, my Christianized opinion won't save anybody. Rather, it is God's word. It is the word of God that is lasting. Psalm 119, your laws endure to this day. It's God's word that provides peace. Psalm 119, 165, great peace have they who love your law. God's word is what gives joy. Psalm 19, 111, your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. And it is through the word of God that people are born again unto a new life in Christ. First Peter 1, 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. It is God's word, not my opinion, not my Christianized spin on things that affects change in people's lives and that affects eternity. So as the people of God, it ought to be so that we're also marked as the people of the word of God. People of the book ought to be what we're known to be, that we've already got God's word so much in our heads that we're basically ready at any given moment to give it away so then as we come to verses 36 through 38 of acts 8 the fruit of obedience to God as Christ's people obey him with a surrendered attitude with a heart of humility of flexibility a willingness to say God you make clear to me what you want me to do what you want me to say I'm gonna do it what happens in that person's life and in the people around them's life when they're obeying God in this way. So they're going along the road, and they come to some water. Philip has told him the good news about Jesus from that passage of Scripture. And what does the eunuch say? He says, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? This guy's life is changed. That's what happens when people obey God. Lives get changed. Stuff starts to happen. People who are bound and enslaved to sin get free. People who are on a road to condemnation get new life and a new destiny in eternity. That's what happens to this eunuch as he's riding in this chariot. Romans 10, 13, that says, All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. In Romans ten seventeen that says that faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God those verses come to be reality in this guy's life as Philip is obeying God the change is brought about in this guy's life is brought about in large part due to the surrendered humble willing available obedience of Philip he goes up and there's some water and what does he say he says I want to be baptized right now on the spot I want to be baptized. I want all these Ethiopian members of my court, all my attendants and you, Philip, to see me get baptized in this water out right here in the desert because I want to be identified publicly as one who has died to my old self and been raised up to new life with Jesus. I want it to be known of me that I have a new life I have a new name. I have a new master, and his name is Jesus. A quick aside here at this point. If there's anybody here, you love Jesus. You've come to believe and trust in him, and you know that he is your only hope of right standing in God. You know that you've been forgiven and made new in him. God's desire for you is that you be baptized. you that you come and be baptized that you follow the example of the eunuch and other people in scripture they put their faith in jesus and then they're baptized in front of a crowd of people who observe them being baptized i i commend you to do that we're gonna have baptisms here in our church on may 30th so if that's you and you sense god compelling you to be baptized i encourage you to come talk to me or matt or bill or chris and it will be scary it'll be a thing well, you'll be nervous and you'll be self-conscious, but it'll be okay. Like you'll be among your church family and you will ne- you will not regret being baptized. You will not regret coming before people to say, I'm being buried in this water to show that my old self is being baptized and I'm coming up out of this water to say, I'm a new person with a new life, saved by Jesus. So, what so what's happening when people are obeying christ people's lives get changed and what is it that brought this about what what is ultimate to what do we ultimately and finally attribute this ethiopian's faith in christ to was it on the one hand god's sovereign orchestrating work that orchestrated all these details and brought this about was it that or Was it, on the other hand, Philip's willing, surrendered obedience, his willing choice to go out and obey God and encounter this eunuch? Was it this or was it this? The answer is yes. The answer is absolutely yes. Both those things are 100% true. God's sovereign will and plan is bound up with the obedience of his people. We as God's people, as we obey God, as we obey what he's commanded us to do in his word, with gladness and humility and joy, we can know that as we obey, we are lined right up with his sovereign plan and purpose in all the universe. And we'll see that my the path of my obedience that brings about my greatest good and brings about the greatest good of everybody I impact, that that path is one and the same with God's sovereign plan and purpose. It is 100% both of those things. Kent Hughes says, God's sovereign work plus man's obedience brings the touch of God to needy human lives. Put another way, there are all kinds of chance meetings ready to take place in a life that is sensitive and obedient to God's leading. I want to be more like Philip. I want to follow. I want to emulate more closely the example of somebody like Philip. I want to stop calculating I wanna stop trying to guess how somebody's gonna respond to me if I talk to them about Jesus. I want to stop being concerned with how I'm gonna appear if I speak to this person about Jesus. I wanna stop trying to guess what this person is gonna think of me if I open my mouth to them about Jesus. I want to, as I know of people in my life who are separated from God by their sin, who were on a path to condemnation because of their sin, and I feel the anguish and the brokenheartedness of knowing that about them. I don't wanna run from that anguish and think, oh, somebody will get to them. No, I wanna sit with that anguish. I wanna sit with that brokenheartedness. And I wanna preach, I wanna open my mouth soon. I wanna get out of my head quickly and stop thinking. What are they going to think of me? How am I going to sound? What if I say something wrong? What if I don't know enough? I want to get out of my own way quickly enough to speak to them about Jesus and take a risk and see what happens when I step out in obedience to obey God. In the 1950s, David Wilkerson, who was a pastor in a rural church in Pennsylvania, uh, David Wilkerson's stories in a book called The Cross and the Switchblade. I commend it to everybody to read. Um, David Wilkerson got this clear conviction from God uh, to go to New York City in the 50s. Gangs were really bad in New York City and tons of young people teenagers were throwing their lives away in dissipation and drunkenness and drugs and violence and sexual immorality. And David Wilkerson became aware of this and he set his life on a course to go to New York City and say, I'm going to do my best to reach these kids with the gospel, see as many of them come to faith in Jesus as, as God would be pleased to do. And so he and a friend of his, he got a friend of his who played trumpet, and he went with him. They drove four hours from Pennsylvania to New York City. Um, Wilkerson stood in a box. His friend stood in the corner of a street in New York City, played the trumpet. He played while the, when the saints come marching in. And people heard this trumpet playing and they said, what's going on down there? Has the circus come to town? And they come down there and it gathers a crowd around them. And Wilkerson stands on a box and preaches to all these people. And that begins this ministry where he's threatened, people pull knives on him and threaten him and he's scorned and cussed at and harassed and all kinds of ways. But he hangs in there and he plants a church and thousands of kids believe in Jesus. Because of his risky, courageous obedience to God. And man, I'm, I'm so inspired by that. I'm so affected. Every time I talk about that example, the first time I read it, I was like, man, I'm so inspired by that. I want to do that. I want to use my life in that way. Now, I don't know if any of us in this room should go out and buy a trumpet. And YouTube how to play a trumpet and go to New York City with it, but I can guarantee you this, that God does want you to take a risk and speak to some risky person in your life about Jesus. He doesn't want you to necessarily calculate until you're exactly sure how they're gonna take it. He wants you to take some kind of risk and start a conversation about eternity and about Jesus with somebody in your life. Now, one thing I want to be really clear about at this point is, am I saying that you should, in an unplanned and spontaneous way, share with someone about Jesus who you just met in that moment? Yes. Someone you're standing in line with at Walmart, sitting next to in the DMV, sitting next to in the dentist waiting room that you just met that day or that hour, should you speak to them about Jesus? Yes. But at the same time, should you also, in the same wisdom, at times not do that, but rather begin and maintain a friendship with people you meet and pray for them, pray with them, share scripture with them, have continual conversations with them, serve them, encourage them, keep up with them, and over the course of a friendship, share the gospel with them multiple times in multiple different ways, so that you're weaving all these threads of the gospel before their eyes, so that before them, it's this tapestry of the gospel that they see? Should you do that as well? Yes. God's purpose isn't that we do one of those things or the other. But His God's desires that we be surrendered to in wisdom, do either one of those, to be willing to say yes, God, I will as you make possible, as you show it to me to be wise, I will, I will share with people who I meet in the same hour that I meet them, because I might die in the next hour, they might die in the next hour, but I will also commit to share with people in my life who I have a connection with, that I'm friends with, that I see every day. The point is that we be willing and ready and obedient, regular people who preach about him no matter what, in whatever way he would direct us. God wants you to share with your neighbor that you live right beside. He wants you to speak about Jesus to that guy who lives right next to you that you see every day in the yard. His desire is that on Monday, you are talking to him over the fence, and he's sharing with you. You're talking to him, and by the grace of God, you're able to imperfectly but faithfully proclaim the gospel to him and pray with him. He's not sure where he's at, but you've shared with him, and you're still praying for him. He wants you to do that on Monday. And then on Tuesday morning, when you come out to the driveway and the battery in your car is dead, and you're cussing at your car, and you look up, oh, hey, Sam. And you're like, oh gosh, I just talked to that guy about Jesus yesterday. He heard me cussing at my car today. God wants you to talk to that guy about Jesus. He doesn't want you cussing at your car either. But the point is God wants you to love that guy and speak to him about Jesus. That guy needs to see that you're not perfect, that you're a sinner saved by grace. He wants you to do that, and he wants you to preach to people who you meet the same day that you meet them. The bottom line is there is risk in both. There's risk in sharing the gospel of people you just meet, and there is risk in sharing the gospel of people you live around every day because there's just going to be risk either way. But if you're going to wait to say, I I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to share with people I just meet. I'll share with this guy over here. when when I'm sure there's no risk. If you're gonna wait till there's no risk to talk to someone about Jesus, guess what? You're never gonna share the gospel with anybody because God has made it so that it's always gonna be a thing of some kind of risk to share the gospel with people. When I lived in Puerto Scandido, um, you would be out surfing and if there was enough time between the sets of waves and you're out there, there's tons of guys lined up in the water, you're sitting on your board floating there, there's some guy next to you. And Puerto Escondido draws people from all over the earth there to surf. People from every continent come to Puerto Escondido to go surfing. And um, these traveling people live in all manner and degree of wickedness, dissipation, that you can't even imagine and you could be sitting in the water and there's some guy on a board next to you and he's from England and you're just talking to him, you've got plenty of time, you're just floating and you're just talking about your life, what you doing here, oh I'm a Christian teacher at this missionary school called Manantial here, oh that's cool and you're talking about your life, surfing, what you're doing. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to guys in that kind of situation in Mexico and I would usually ask them one or one or both of these questions. At some point I would just say, well, what about you, man? What do you think about Jesus? Now, some of you might say, oh, no, I would never meet somebody for the first time, and their first meeting with them, ask them what they think about Jesus. That's way too personal. They're not gonna wanna talk to me about Jesus. If that's what you think, I'm here to tell you today, you'd be surprised. I can't tell you how many times I've said to somebody I just met, what do you think about Jesus, man? And that man will talk for 40 minutes without taking a breath and I just sit there and listen, I just sit there and listen, and in doing that, I've heard a lot of crazy things about Jesus, right? And I sit there and listen, and there's times where he'll talk and talk and talk, and I'll usually ask this next question, I'll say, bro, do you know what the gospel is? You ever heard of the gospel? And just let him talk, and again, they'll talk for a long time, and I've heard a lot of crazy things about what people think the gospel is, and then I get some opportunity where I'm able to say something like, well, would you be okay with me telling you what I believe the gospel is? And they are willing to say, yeah, go ahead. And by the grace of God, I'm able to imperfectly but faithfully share the gospel with him. And as we get to the end of this passage, verses 39 through 40, it says that they come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carries Philip away, and The eunuch doesn't see him anymore, and he goes on his way rejoicing. Doesn't seem to give any indication that he was wondering where Philip went. And Philip just shows up at Azotus, and he's just on to the next step of obedience. His life is such that he's like, my life is something to be burned out, to be poured out for you, God. I'm not going to sit down on the sidelines, sit down on the bench, and just enjoy a job well done. I want you to show me, God, what's the next place you would have me go? What's the next thing you'd have me do? He says, okay, where next, God? Who next would you have me share with? So what do we do now? What do we do with this? I submit there's three things we should do coming away from this. Number one is to fill your heart so that your mouth overflows. Fill your heart so that your mouth overflows. Luke six forty five. Jesus says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Fill your mind with God's word and fill your heart with affection for God. There's always a correlation between knowing more of God's word and loving people more. Knowing more of God's word is not some like cold, mechanical, isolated, academic thing it always brings about true greater love for other people. Colossians 3.16 says, "'Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly.'" So as we have the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, God's word, the Bible dwelling in us richly, that statement comes right after this in Colossians 3 So fill your mouth so that your heart overflows. And then number two, be the regular, obedient, and ready person. Be that person. You're not going to be perfect. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not perfect now. I will be perfect when I'm dead. And so will you. When we are dead and this life is over, God will bring about to perfection this work that he has already started in us. I do not share the gospel with every person I see. And when I do, I do not do it perfectly. You won't either. The point is, we're not going to be perfect. He wants us to make up our minds, to be surrendered, to be the regular, ready, obedient person. God may not see fit to give you some huge ministry, but here's a guarantee. Somebody needs you someone in your life needs you and they don't necessarily so much need you they need the savior who has made you into the transformed forgiven renewed born again person that you are they need jesus from you they need to know jesus who was made to be sin although he knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of god they need to know Jesus who was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. It was unto Jesus that he was denied justice. Things, Jesus was not treated fairly. Jesus was punished for stuff that he never did, namely the stuff you and I have done. Jesus was punished in our place so that we could be treated with the favor that Jesus deserved. So be the obedient and willing person. Cultivate an eagerness to give Christ and his word away like Philip. And number three, lean in to where the spirit is leading. Go ahead and assume and take for granted that the spirit of God is at work in you as a believer to bring you to people who need Jesus. Go ahead and assume that and lean in to where the Spirit is leading you. You're probably not gonna hear an audible voice. You probably won't be audibly spoken to by the angel of the Lord, but God will orchestrate circumstances, and the Holy Spirit will lead you to people who need Jesus. Consider a couple of really normal scenarios that I would submit all of us have that we often take for granted is there's some coworker, some guy you work with that every time you go to sit down to eat lunch in the break room, he's in there at the exact same time. Every day you go in there, you go into the microwave with your stuff. He's already sitting down, and you y'all you just got the same routine. You're seeing him every day, and you come in. Hey, Timmy, what you got today? Oh, spaghettios. Yeah, spaghettios. Meatballs? Oh yeah, meatballs. And you guys just got this connection over SpaghettiOs, right? Y'all just, you and Timmy just have this thing you talk about with SpaghettiOs. You guys are friends. That's not an accident. That's not random. God God intended for you to eat lunch at the same time as that guy every day. God intends that to happen. And so not only that, Timmy trusts you with the most difficult and painful things in his life. And you're not even asking for it. You're not even looking, you're not even asking those kind of questions. He just tells you the hardest stuff in his life. I hope everybody in here is thinking, yep, I have that person in my life. I know that person. A friend. You got a friend that you know for a fact does not believe in Jesus, but they just love you. They have this great affinity for you, and they just want to talk to you a lot. I had a man once who was going through some really painful messy situation and he talked to me and hit me with all these details and in that moment i just did the best i could to encourage in the best way i knew how and i prayed for him right there in that moment and a few weeks went by he came to me and he said i've got a lot of friends and there's a lot of people in my life that know about the situation but you're the only person who has prayed with me about this I believe all of us underestimate the, the degree to which this is true. You are probably the only Christian in somebody's life. There is very likely somebody that you know for which you're the only believer in their life, and that is orchestrated by God. So we've got to reject the notion that there's some kind of chance or random things that happen. Rather, we should see all things as divinely appointed as if like we're on the road to Gaza from Jerusalem and somebody else is just lined up to encounter us. We need to see it as just a divinely appointed thing. Ephesians 1.11, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Because there's no chance encounters. There's just sovereign appointments so father god we come to the end of this and god we need your help we need your help god to be like philip god it is only from you it is only through you that we grow and change and become what we're supposed to be god it is only because of you and your work in us and through us that we become less of us and more like you, Christ. So God, please help us. Please help us, God. Yeah, we, I know that many people come in here today and we are weighed down by so many things. God, we are so affected by sin. Our life is so affected by our own sin, the sin of other people. I know there's probably people in here that being able to talk to other people about Jesus is probably the last thing they feel like they could think about so god i pray for those people that they would see you for what you really are as the great and faithful and compassionate high priest who sympathizes with us so god would these people see you and feel you at the level of their emotions god would they experience you like that jesus God as you talk about a sovereign appointment you the one who works out all things in accordance with the counsel of your will there's people here today God who you've ordained to be here and you've intended that they would believe in you today for the first time that they would surrender their lives for you, to you God and they would be freed from darkness they would be freed and forgiven from all the sin that binds them and be welcomed into a new life in you God, I pray that you would convince everybody in here that there's nothing they could have done, nothing they could have said, no decision that they could have made or any place they could have gone that would exclude them from being able to be forgiven and made clean and made new and made whole in and through you, Jesus. So God, would you do these things, and would you do it to glorify and honor yourself and to honor you, Lord Jesus. And we pray these things in your name. Please be honored as we sing now. Amen.